looking at. This episode of Polytrex is sponsored by Fansets. Uh, use discount code Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S, to get a really nice fancy discount on your next order on fansets.com. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ, Namaste Homo Sapiens. Welcome to another exciting episode of Polytrek. It's October, so Polytrex is going to be doing Spooky Trek or Spooky Trek. One of those. I have not decided on the final name yet. So when you see the title of this episode, you know which uh, title I gave careful consideration to and finalized or panicked in the last minute and just put one and went with so. Spooky Trek slash Spooky Treks is going to be the two episodes that we put out in October because the spooky scene. Joining me today is a not very spooky but an amazing amazing person who you can find on twitter at rad miss very well known twitter tracky social media guy uh gal i will i will let them uh tell us their pronoun as their pronouns yeah. but uh hey uh Fliss, felicity which one do you prefer do you, do you have a- i use she her pronouns um i'm pretty spooky i think i like to think i'm probably not as spooky <laughs> as i like to think that i am but you know so- Jo- joining us is <laughs> Radmis Fliss, and she is very well known on Twitter for her sometimes controversial Trek opinions, but also is an, a budding artist who is uh, getting into all things animation and just a cool Star Trek fan that I've and have had the opportunity to be a part of her podcast when she did Faraday along with her. And today she's joining me to talk about the ball. Anyway, give us a little bit more of an introduction because I did a terrible job, Fliss. Oh, you did an outstanding job. I'm flattered that you consider me to be like a a big tech person to talk to um you've got your own podcast that's so cool um so um i i guess i would describe myself as a bit entrepreneurial um i've gone from one thing to another and it's hard to say whether that's entrepreneurial or adhd and i guess it's probably the latter because i don't profit from anything that i do um i'm a terrible ferengi i don't have the lobes for business at all um but Uh, I love Star Trek. I love sci-fi. I love talking about nerd stuff. Uh, And I'm excited to be here tonight talking about the Borg uh, with you, Shashank. You put that very lightly. Uh, Drad Miss Fliss or Felicity, as we know, only the friends for everyone else is Drad. Now, Felicity puts together a stellar role-playing game camp, one that will knock your socks off. I have no experience with those games, but... uh, she invited me to be a part of her podcast called Faraday that she did about a year ago. And we did a few episodes, but the storytelling that she would do in each episode was just stellar. You can go find that on YouTube if you're into We have a few episodes out there. It's called Faraday, a Star Trek tabletop podcast. But all that to say, I am really excited to talk to her today because she says, oh, I'm flattered that you think I am like a big Star Trek person. But once you start listening to her, you, you'll see what I mean. Anyway, now, one of the things that I've always been scared, the Borg, have they ever been scary to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Borg are the antithesis of everything Starfleet. So they're they're very much the boogeyman. Uh, they, they did such a good job of, of being the boogeyman that uh, people who are 
afraid of coming together as one human race uh, sort of preach. They're all technology, they're all science, they're all logic, they're homogenous, and they say they want your distinctiveness, but once they get that distinctiveness, they just turn it into the homogeny that everybody has. So it's very cosmically horrific. It's very uh, visually horrific because they, you know, they, they look like scary zombie people, very spooky. And then the Borg babies is just such a terrifying concept. Uh, being born into that life is just a, a fresh kind of hell that I, uh, I can't, I, I wouldn't wish upon anybody. I can't imagine what that would be like. There is a Rage Against the Machine song called No Shelter. And oh. in this, it's a song that was made for the really well-made and not at all bad Zilla movie. The uh, okay. Okay. And the one with, uh, 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 oh my gosh, Ferris his Bueller. name just ran. Yes. Matthew Broderick. Uh, Matthew Broderick. Nick, yeah. Nick Totopoulos was the name. And they, <laughs> they made a big thing out of his name being hard to pronounce. Oh. <laughs> That was not one. Of, that was one of the many, many things that was difficult about. It. It's still a. It's still a sore wound for us kaiju fans. Anyway, it, the the song made by the band was called No Shelter, and in it there's a line: Godzilla, pure mother effing filla, take your eyes off the real killer. So it was a song made to kind of parody slash comment big blockbuster movies that are made to like scare you and give you jump scare, and they take your eyes off the real killer, which according to Ray Sheen are the the people in the people that run the economy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I think Star Trek's version of the Borg is one of those real killer because unlike a typical horror movie or tv show where you get you know most scared really bad looking scared some unsettling the the scariest thing about the bark is an intellectual that you can't put on a screen and you know you open a door that you're not supposed to open and something bad that will never you can't show that with the with the concept that they're trying to project with the bark which is assimilation yeah you have no choice but to be absorbed into the one the one thing the end the high and it, it just doesn't stop coming it just keeps it keeps coming for you so how do you how do you combat that it's such a it, it's it's a big question it's it's a, it's a it's a large allegory um for i would say uh, complacency in a melting pot environment um, it's it's very much, um, you know, we see this kind of thing. I'm going to go ahead and, and attack the platform that we tend to communicate on, which is Twitter. Uh, it we, we tend to be that board collective. If you speak out against the hive, uh, you can get, you know, canceled. And, you know, that's a thing. And there's a whole discourse about cancel culture, but steering things back to the, the Borg Um there's a lot there that is a lot older than things like Twitter and a lot older than um, that uh, than you know the the cancel culture discourse that is the the group think and the urge for assimilation. I I would hesitate to say that it's an accident that the Borg are all very pale white looking you know aliens, but it it it, it isn't. And the, they are a bit of a product of the 80s, the, the terrifying techno scare of the late 80s, that cyberpunk, you know, less than human question is there, as well as the question of transhumanism that's later brought up when you have characters like Seven of Nine and Echeb that are brought in that are 
part Borg or recovered Borg or even Locutus uh, or Picard, who's recovered Borg or Hugh, who's recovered Borg, there's still a person underneath. So where does the person begin and the machine stop? And the Borg are presented as all machine, but we have the Borg queen too. And she adds humanity to that that is undeniably present and even a little bit creepier um, because of her presence there means that we can't just say, oh, well, this is a machine that's acting, that's lurching forward. There is drive behind this. Uh, and it, it it brings it back sort of that rage against the machine because with, you know, when we tend to look at things and scream at things like, oh, these are the government or these are the people behind the economy that are, you know, messing things up, there are absolutely some, you know, intentional killings. Uh, you know, these drone strikes that we're doing overseas that are killing innocent people that are, these are very real things that intelligent people are behind saying, you know, we're trying to accomplish this goal, whatever their, you know, altruism is. But also we've got the big wigs with the money uh, that are influencing opinion, saying things like Amazon should get a seat at the UN because they're big enough to be a country financially. Um, just there's that 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 mind is there. We've got Borg queens. They're the the Bezoses and the Zuckerbergs and the the Gates, uh, the the technology leaders. That that fear is still there, and it's something that can can connect with audiences. Uh, even from a show that came out uh, in uh, the first appearance of the Borg was what 1991, 1992. Uh, I want to say it was season three. So we're looking at 80. Yeah, one at like 1990, 91. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, not you know hey, people weren't thinking about that. You're absolutely right. You said a lot of really good things. Things that I'm hoping we can touch on and talk some more about. Uh, now you mentioned oh uh, the Borg Queen brings like a whole. Uh, their humanity in a different perspective to everything. Have you been in watching the recent Lower Decks episodes? Uh, I did watch the most recent one, I Excretus. Is that the yeah. one we're referring to where Boimler does the um, the the training exercise where he's in the, the Borg cube? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're, they're bringing, I don't know if you know, it's the actress Alice Krieg who played the Borg queen was the one, the Borg. I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah. Uh, they're also bringing back a younger Borg card. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's a recasting. I'll send you an Ooh. article uh, on Trek News, which is a website I write for. No big, just casually <laughs> throwing that in there. Hashtag shameless plug. Hey, I did want to talk to you. Uh, so yeah, I've been enjoying those and I hope they keep expanding on the Borg appearance. You mentioned that, you know, as we learn more about these recovered Borg, that it, that a question starts to form about, is there still a real person and what happened person and the person versus the, the cybernetic. You know, we live in 2021 where I can make make the argument that without this my cell phone i'm not having a human experience like if if forget even the social media and the communication i get a tornado alert right right so if i didn't have my phone i'm i'm choosing myself to have a lesser because if part of being human is surviving i'm choosing to risk my survival yeah. do you think we as a people are even though we are not getting the cyberpunk green filter neon you know pale skin scare do you think we as a people are becoming more like a cybernetic organism hybrid i will tell you i have i've wear yeah. i've worn glasses since i was 7 years old i can't see without them if i didn't have my glasses i couldn't step out of them. yeah and i absolutely think yeah i i i do um i think um, I personally am very excited for it because it presents a lot of interesting opportunities. Um, we have in terms of medical devices with 3D printing organs, 
Um, we have, there are uh, a lot of people, I don't know of a lot of people, but there are people with hearing loss who've had some hearing recovered through the use of, uh, I, I'm not sure what the technical med- medical terms are for it, but cybernetic enhancements where they've got, you know, metal pins put into their brain that allow them to regain some hearing. And even I have read some pop science stuff. I'm not sure the efficacy of it. Uh, similar stuff for restoring vision. Not to be um, too borgy. I think they're called implants. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and these implants, they're, they're a good thing. And I think that what separates these medical necessity implants from, say, uh, the Borg and even cyberpunk stuff, um, you know, aesthetic present or not, uh, is a lot of uh, the question of necessity. And if we are to look at cyberpunk, uh, if, we, if we look at Mike Pondsmith's cyberpunk setting, a lot of the reason why the cybernetics were involved in that setting was because there was a war where a lot of young people that went off to that war lost their limbs and it was cheaper to replace the limbs with cybernetics than it was to just bring in new bodies. And in real life, we haven't had that problem as much. Um, There's also a level of compassion in real life that isn't you know, that necessarily isn't present in, in the, the fictional Mike Pondsmith cyberpunk setting. But there are going to be optional implants that we can choose to get that uh, guys like Elon Musk are, you know, like him or loathe him. He's putting money into the Neuralink, which is going to be an upgrade for the phone uh, where you will be able to just play the music directly in your head. Uh, it will also help do things ostensibly like regulate hormone levels, which could be outstanding for uh, menopausal women, uh, women with uh, hormone imbalances or men with hormone imbalances. I'm hoping there will be applications for transgender people as well, uh, because it would be lovely for people who are you know not able to produce the hormones they need uh, to have a computer regulated hormone release system that could have their brain manufacture the hormones for them because at the moment like my pituitary gland it generates some hormones but it doesn't generate all my hormones i still have to take pills to supplement that uh, i guess this would be the important part of saying that i myself am a transgender person and also the disclaimer that if you are a transgender person and you feel like your hormones are fine you don't need medical intervention in order to to be the gender that you identify as. I, I do want to be clear about that. But for those of us that do, Neuralink is a possibility in the future. So I do think that we are moving towards that for better or for worse. And we're going to increasingly run up against this question of when does a person stop being a person and when do they become a machine? Um, and there's, there's some bigger questions as well uh, that we tend to take for granted in our modern sci-fi that most of these things like Star Trek are post-singularity, which is describing an event where computers reach and supersede the ability to reason at the speed of and with the capacity and versatility of uh, living sapient creatures. Um, And a lot of the question of transhumanism isn't just like, okay, if I get all of these machine parts, am I human or not? Uh, But also, if I take my brain and transfer it into a machine, am I still human? And the Borg Queen, when we see her, is just 
you know, a head and shoulders and a little spindly mechanical spine that gets put onto a robot body. So is the Borg Queen still an organic creature? So remember at the beginning of the episode when Felicity said, oh, I'm so flattered, big Star Trek, and then proceeds to wax poetic about the deep concept in Star Trek for a good two minutes straight. So I will let all of you listening make the judgment. Let's talk about some of the Borg appearances in Star Trek, but we still don't know where the Borg came from, right? Um, they came from the Delta Quadrant. Uh, but, we know I that, mean, sorry, as but... in how they were born and how oh, they yeah. began. The- the genesis of the Borg. Technically, yes. we don't know that. Yeah. Um, oh. I feel like there's probably been a book exploring that concept, but I am not well read on uh, <laughs> Trek fiction. So maybe ask uh, the folks at, at Literary Treks, perhaps they might have yeah. a better idea. No, uh, me neither. I've always wondered what their origin would be like. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was something to do with human beings or very human humanoid creatures and our messed up conflicts with technology that eventually just led to the creation or like very much yeah. like Skynet, you know, in Terminator. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that. So if we did go chronologically, the first time we'd see the Borg would be uh, before uh, with, Enterprise. Uh, yes. Yeah. Enterprise would be the first, but before the uh, before Enterprise, it, wouldn't it be first contact? Uh, well, there's time play involved in first contact. So uh, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the on the subject of um, on the subject of uh, uh, origins, though, I think Discovery did potentially point us in sort of the right direction in season two. At least I, I, I had sort of gotten the impression that the Borg might have been an offshoot. Uh, I'm forgetting what the name of the Section 31 computer was. Um, but that Section 31 computer might... Oh, in Discovery? Yeah. Control. Control might have been uh, an origin, especially when you have, uh, you know, they traveled what 900 years into the future or whatever. Um, th- one of the, the ideas that, that I've always sort of had that, it's not really implied anywhere, but you know, this Fliss head fiction, which you get for having me on, is that the Borg are the Federation, uh, but perverted. They reached out, they conquered, they not conquered, but had all the things. And in order to try and make all the things work, they had something like control that would regulate them. And when they couldn't sustain themselves, instead of staying where they are, they went back into the past and somehow in all of the mess had sort of an identity loss or identity crisis where they don't know or don't care about who they were. So when they re-encounter the Federation, it's it's a bit of an awakening that causes them to come and want all of the stuff that the Federation has. And it's a little peculiar that they go directly for Earth and are okay with going into the past to assimilate humanity before they were worth assimilating. Heavy air quotes on worth assimilating. Anyway, there's my head quotes, uh, but we can get back into uh, First Contact, uh, which takes us to uh, the pre-Enterprise era uh, and the Phoenix back in 2063. I think that is correct. I'm hoping I can live till 26 so that will happen and I will be there uh, because so many things from Star Trek came true just in a different form. Why is this something that people think, oh, maybe it won't, it won't happen. And it's just like a date that they threw out. There. But going back to First Contact, did you like the movie? Are you a fan? I am a fan of First Contact. I think First Contact is probably my 
favorite Star Trek movie. Um, I do think that uh, it's especially funny uh, in some respects because you can sort of see how the direction changed from the show to the movie where after generations, they were like, okay, we want to start like trying to get these actors some awards. They're on the screen now, like they're on the silver screen. They're not just on TV screens. And so Picard, whose reaction to the Borg in uh, The Next Generation, when he meets Hugh uh, and in later episodes that I'm not coming to memory right away, uh, he's, he's pretty, he doesn't like them. But he's pretty calm about it. And he definitely sees them as these are beings that we need to deal with very carefully. Um, and and there's a feeling of regret. But in first contact, when he sees them, it's anger. It's very much like he can he can show the anger. Do you see the anger? Uh, so there's a bit of a contrast between movie Picard and, and show Picard that I think is is comical uh but the movie itself is a lot of fun uh i loved being able to see uh, uh lavar burton's face uh without the visor on for the first time uh, i mean reading rainbow as well i suppose <laughs> but the line must be drawn here this far no father that was precisely just- that was made to attract that Oscar crowd, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't think they got any. Um, they made a lot of money, though. Jonathan Frakes and that team. Uh, Jonathan Frakes directed First Contact, and then they gave him Insurrection. That, uh, but I liked hey. Insurrection, too, but I'm I'm pretty liberal about what I like. You know, throwing my like around for Star Trek. I like it when it's good. I tend to like it when it's bad. Um I just, I like it. It's, it is what it is. The Borg appeared in six episodes on TNG. Q who, the two parts of Best of Both Worlds. I Borg, the two parts of Descent. So Descent was one big. And uh, they were barely in Emissary, which was the pilot. And then of course, First Contact, but also Voyager is where they had, I think their biggest, uh, their biggest part to play in a in the story of a Star Trek show, even though it played like a pretty significant role with the role of the captain in the next generation, Voyager and the Borg link very, very deeply. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was something that I think fans could look forward to uh, knowing, you know, because TNG had finished by the time Voyager was getting going. Uh, so knowing that Voyager was in the Delta Quadrant and knowing that the Borg came from the Delta Quadrant, that meant that somewhere in that 70,000 light year journey, they're going to have to run into the Borg. I think a lot of people feel that Voyager diminished the threat of the Borg in a lot of ways, Um, but I'm not sure I agree with that. What do you think? I don't know if they diminished it. I think they humanized it a lot more, especially with Seven of Nine, who would go on to become uh, more popular than Janeway, which at the time was kosher. It was not taken well by famously... Everybody knows the stories. I'm not going to rehash. But yeah, I think that part of uh, the Borg kind of, I don't know, again, it was not diminished. It was just humanized. And of course, because it was the late 90s, it was kind of sexualized with 709 because she would have the, she'd still have the eye implant and then they would make all the pictures or rather the photos, which is what I meant by picture. And, you know, I think in that way, it, it kind of unintentionally sexualized it, but I don't know if it ever diminished it because Spooky Treks, the first one we're talking about is the bug. So we're still pretty scared about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they were certainly, I think uh, a lot of what uh, I saw with the Borg was that their answer to 
what did the Borg fear was not the Federation, but the Undine. And fear is such an interesting word to use with the Borg. Uh, they, they had to create something, I guess, that would draw the attention of the Borg away from Voyager to let them get through that area. But if the Borg were so hell-bent on conquering humanity, there would have to be something keeping them in the Delta Quadrant away from humanity to begin with. So it it stands to reason that they've been dealing with species 8472, uh, which I, I think I just mentioned is the Undine, which is the name that they were given in Star Trek Online, but it's never mentioned anywhere in the show. They're always species 8472 um, from fluid space. Uh, that was a very interesting concept um, because they're, I, I don't really know how to characterize if, if the Borg are scary, what is Species 8472? Like, they've got to be granddaddy scary, right? You don't just bring out, you know, Ghidorah to fight Godzilla. You bring out Mecha King Ghidorah to fight Godzilla. So you've got to have something that's bigger and badder than the biggest in order to be scary. Um, so I think that 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 created a much more tense environment for the crew of Voyager, where now they're navigating politics between two significantly larger entities, because not only are they not uh, able to call upon the Federation, as minuscule as it is relative to the Borg and Species 8472, they are ambassadors of the Federation in the middle of this space, and they're only interest is getting home. Uh, so the end game with Voyager was such an interesting pair of episodes. Some of my favorite Voyager episodes uh, are end games part one and two. I think that was their names. This is where I'm rusty on my Star Trek is remembering the names of the episodes. Again, you're not the Borg. You're human. You're allowed to not know everything. Yeah. I'm sure the people listening, either they know or they're more than happy. So it's not, it's definitely not an issue. We appreciate you for listening. Before we talk a little more about the Borg, uh, I do have to jump in and tell you, have you heard of Fanset? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, Fansets is a mom and pop company, really. It's run by three people, three lovely people. But it's really just a very small company that for... Star Trek, their entire mission is just to make the best Star Trek pin that ever exists. You might have even seen Fansets pins and not known about it, but you can go to fansets.com and use the discount code Polytrex for P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. Yeah, just go to fansets.com and look at Star Trek and you'll see if you've ever been to a convention that has anything to do with Star Trek, you might have even seen them on the internet. They're, they just, that's all they do. Their mission is to eventually catalog most of the well, well-known things in Star Trek. Right now, they're running a series called The Women of Trek, where they're making really cool standout pins about fame women. Yeah, these are outstanding. I absolutely just pulled this up on my phone to look at them. They've got more than 300 Star Oh, uh, oh for a second there, you froze on my screen. Yeah, uh, you froze on mine. Can you hear me? Yeah. It's probably me. I'm on wireless internet up here. Uh, you and me both. I'm also on. Anyway, I will tell you as we're talking, uh, wha- the, the, they're trying to put out pins every week, which is really cool. And I wish I'd done the podcast a little more often so I could catalog all the new pins that day. But this week, they're releasing the Zindi Commander Dolim. They're doing Dr. Taylor from Star Trek Four. They're doing Admiral Kirk in his maroon uniform. And then for Women of Trek, they're doing Bilana Torres. And these will be available or were available starting October 1st. And like I said, they're just a small local shop. Like they're a sponsor for Trek Geeks. And 
but I've just known them just as part of the Trek fan culture well before I ever became a part of Trek. And they're, they're just really good people who love Star Trek. And so I just started to throw that plug in for our sponsor before we went on. Oh, you know what? I think I have one on there. On my purse. Do they have one for the Bonaventure? They they probably have a Star Trek they do. for everything that you have. Ever they do, from. and I do have a Bonaventure on my purse. It is one of my favorite pins. I have the Bonaventure holds a special place in my heart. Uh, and that's just that's just what they do. They make pins that become this iconic, minuscule uh, version of that character or ship. And I just I wish. One of the things I wish is just I could buy all the pins because eventually it just starts racking up. Now I buy them few and far in between, but they're really good pins. Uh, and if you, oh, yeah. you can, if you can afford them and you like Star Trek and you like pins, fansage.com. I don't just say that because they're a sponsor that help us keep our show up. They're just really cool people who like Star Trek. Well, I'm not sponsored by anybody and I've been toting around one of their pins for years. And I'll definitely say, I agree that they've got absolutely outstanding pins. Go and pick yours up today. That was, that was find, great. You did really well. Thank you for find sh- Find the one, find the right one for you. <laughs> yeah. And possibly if you're a Trek fan, there are more than one that because- Don't find the somewhere. 10 for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 10 is a good number. 10 is, 10 is where you should go. Hey, so what is your theory about Species 8472 or the Undine? What do you think there? Um... That's a really difficult question. Uh, I don't feel like outside of Star Trek Online, they're very well explored. Uh, And that's sort of intentional. A lot of what makes them scary is our imagination sort of running wild. This is... It's the same like the Borg's origin. Like we don't know. And that's what makes it more scary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with the species A472... I think what we have to fear in terms of that is here's, it's not just that they're, you know, entirely bio-organic, you know, space-faring aliens, because that's cool. But, you know, you could be those things and not be scary. But with these guys, what they are is they are from fluidic space, which is when we see it sort of implied to be connected in a way that our universe is disconnected by the void of space. Instead, literally everything everywhere is part of this fluid and whatever species evolved, which presumably is just species 8472 in its many different uh, physiological shapes, all of these things developed with a need to, to feed. So there's no intergalactic politics in fluid space. It's just species 8472. And when it comes into our space, what it sees potentially are more food or threats to itself. And it, being biological, can continuously consume and reproduce infinitely, potentially turning our space into more fluidic space, depending on what that even goes into. Like I said, the imagination can run wild. 8472 also continues uh, Freck's fascination with boss level races based in fluids like the Dominion. Yeah. Because they're also just the great, I forget what it's called, the great sea, the the big water body that Odo eventually goes into and comes out as a human. It's just, there's something about that kind of fluid. And even I believe the ending, All Good Things, has its its place somewhere near a water body. So it's just more philosophical stuff. Hey, let's move on to the one appearance they had in Enterprise, which I think mostly was, it might have started out as an Easter egg kind of episode where 
oh my god what if they discover it's like a writer's room exercise you know what if yeah. they discover a body and you go john and john's like okay they discover a body let's just say they're like just there and they're like just we don't we don't know who these people are and then it's an eye station and then they find a caps and you go stacy and then stacy is like oh and then we see the face and it's the borg and i feel like that's what happened with regeneration yeah a little bit I'm on feel like Enterprise was sort of like that in general. I think that was one of the charming things about Enterprise is they gave it it's a little bit of that episodic nature that we got from TOS where um they still weren't committed to doing an entire serialized Star Trek. We wouldn't get that until Discovery. Uh so there was there was a little bit of these serialized episodes that they would test the water with because they did so well on DS9 but the these these sort of writers room exercises pop up every now and then uh, and create these real delightful moments in enterprise i think certainly too there's something about um finding something trapped in the ice that speaks to us um as humans since we find you know we have these stories like uh HP Lovecraft at the Mountain of Madness or we have this movie uh John Carpenter's The Thing um the ice is unforgiving it's inhospitable you can't have anything there but it also has the promise of preserving something to be re- you know revived back to life again and although we get some weird questionable content in star trek sometimes that tends to lean more towards eugenics than it really ought to they tend not to believe too much in cryogenics aside from um the this space seed stasis chamber and then the three people from the late 80s that were frozen and shot into space i suppose uh but we don't see it too often cryogenics isn't talked about too often in star trek uh but there, there's that you know that will it will it not wake up thing how frozen is this and as a borg you know, we we've seen voyager already we know they've got nanoprobes that are going to kick into life and i think there's some unanswered questions too with those borg which uh if they came to life uh wouldn't they then try and reach out to the collective or would they not be able to reach the collective because the collective didn't have a network uh that could keep them in the hive mind so a little bit unclear um is the ending one. of uh, regeneration the realization that the borg found this the location of earth and they send it through their collective you know um i haven't seen i'd have to go back and watch it again yeah uh, that's the one episode i saw today and okay. the ending is that the subske this they they their invasion is unsuccessful they're kicked out by archer through but then archer learns that the one thing they could retrieve was the location of earth and then his vulcan science officer who escapes she says oh but it'll take at least 200 years for the mess if that is Paul, yeah yeah and then he says so that means in the 24th century the invasion is what archer says and that's where they leave off the episode so that's the one like thing they do in the episode which i think was important in a way to connect it to everything borg yeah and a nice bit of science there as far as the speed at which information travels uh which is something that's implied far more often than it's talked about in trek uh, especially in the TNG era where they've got advanced sublight or not sublight but a uh, super 
superliminal communication devices or something. Uh, I also recently finished reading the Star Trek Year 5 comic. And they, in that comic, one of the main bad guys are the Tholian from the original. And their goal is, is that along with Gary Seven from the original, they've seen the future. And in the future, there's just a lot of destruction and Armageddon. So their goal is to trap the entire universe or the galaxy that they can encounter in a state of nostalgia. So essentially just hitting the pause button. Oh, wow. Everything. So I felt it was like a different kind of assimilation, you know, which is forcing everybody to just be paused. Hey, it's a really good comic series. I I recommend you check it out if you enjoy it. Also, just speaking of comics, uh, people who enjoy the Borg, there is a really good comic called Star Trek Hive written by Bannon Braga. Uh, and it's a comic that has, this is all I'll say about it, Locutus and Seven of... I mean, that's the cover is just Locutus and among other people whose uh, surprises else. Uh, there is also Star Trek Boldly Go, which came out, it's weird to say this, but almost 10 years ago at this point, but it's a comic book series that continued the uh, Kelvin universe. And there is an arc or like a good three, four issue series. Fuck is taken. It's uh, just the cover again is just, it's the Locutus face, but Locutus face pose, but instead of Picard, it's no. The the other things that I think are left to talk about really with the Borg are, uh, the, apart from those episodes, what did you think of the Borg's appearance in Picard? Um, So that's the first time that we really got to see them after uh, Voyager. So these are the, the, the ones that Janeway has broken, more or less. And they've got the, the recovery project. But also, most interestingly, it is after the destruction of Romulus, uh, which was discussed as part of the plot of the 2009 Star Trek movie by J.J. Abrams. Um, so there's there's a lot of connection there that comes from the, the story from Star Trek Online uh, the story that was told in Star Trek Online, uh, because they don't really tell it in um, in any screen sources that I know of. Uh, maybe there's a prequel book that I haven't read. I'm not sure. But I know they tell the story in Star Trek Online that the Romulans started experimenting with Borg technology following uh, the, the Borg invasion, and they got their hands on this cube, which is presumably the same cube that we see in uh, Picard. And the fact that they're still working on it is so reckless to me. Like, I'm glad that they're sort of trying to recover some of the Borg that were assimilated. Uh, I think that that's a very promising direction for the the development of those characters. But even then, they are now not just prisoners of the Borg, they're prisoners of the Romulans who own this cube reclamation project and people like Echeb and Seven of Nine are sort of on the fringes and only able to kind of sit back and watch and weren't able to do very much. Um, It's also been, gosh, a year or two since, when did Picard come out? Is that 2019 or 2020? It started 2020 in 2019. Okay. Started in 2019, ended in. Okay, so it's been it's been more than a year now then since I've seen Picard because I only did the one watch through. I need to go back and and watch it again. There's just there's so much on the docket and with new lower decks coming out every week. Omg, uh, Rad Miss Fliss at Rad Miss Fliss says he has only watched Picard once. Hashtag not a real fan. Hashtag that's right. Fliss is cancelled. <laughs> Track checked. Uh, no, I. Uh, 
people i i kind of say it jokingly but also not people got really mad at me when i said that i didn't enjoy the last three episode card uh, polytrix did like a watch through or like mm-hmm. a after every episode we did a commentary episode or like a breakdown episode and the last one was just so bad i just i couldn't my, bring myself to release it because it was just all negative and i didn't want but so uh, take that for what you will i kind of still enjoyed what we saw of the borg i will say this i'm glad the borg finally got an appearance in today's vfx with yeah. today's cgi that was the best part of it, is that i could really see the borg in their menacing horrifying today cgi form as yeah. opposed to the the matte paintings and the you know handmade uh, makeup of i the mean 90- i think that's something that i would be excited for even in the next season of discovery um is I, I want to see more modern takes on the Borg. And uh, I think one of the things that I'm disappointed about the end of sort of that Kelvin timeline, uh, as far as media is concerned, is that I would like to see more of what their original takes would be, since they did more homages to Star Trek design rather than straight, like we're going to just copy and paste Star Trek and do it with younger actors. There were a lot of very interesting design things. I think that a modern Borg would be a bit more like a Cylon. Um, You wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that they were Borg, except perhaps that they were pale and could project a laser beam out of their eye if they wanted, or something like that. Because for practical reasons, it's far more logical to appear as the rest of a species does and then break down into a million tiny nanobots and just assimilate everything. So there's a lot that could be done VFX-wise with Borg that I'm excited to see in the future, especially because with Picard moving forward and with uh, Discovery moving forward, even in the far beyond past Picard, we can see the ways in which the Borg moved on from where we saw them wounded at the end of uh, Endgame and even in Picard, uh, did they rally? That was something we were sort of getting into in Faraday was, uh, for me, the Borg that rallied were rallied along some kind of quasi-religious lines where they had something called the beacon, which was an automatic uh, signal that was calling out to try and bring those Borg back together so that they could come together and be a new force, uh, something that would terrify you know, you as the captain of a starship going into the Delta Quadrant and your crew who then knew that they would be squaring off against perhaps not the Borg at their full uh, might, but certainly the Borg. So I think that was an episode we recorded, but didn't end up getting published. What I didn't really appreciate was felt like at the end of Picard season one, the Borg just became Jamhadar. Yeah. They just became the vessel, the plot device for Narek and his sister. Narek, if you remember, was the Romulan spy uh, and... It just became the plot device for him and his sister. And we got a really cool moment with Seven becoming the Borg queen, the quote-unquote queen, when yeah. she manipulated the vessel. I, I, I hope we get a do-over. I'm excited, especially because Q is coming back in season two. So I'm yeah. hoping they will do something super with the Borg. And I just, I can't get enough of the Borg. I, I think they're great. Uh, like I said, it's the real killer to me because it's just on it's terrifying and horrifying on so many intellectual levels. Yeah. I want to see more of them in Lower Decks, to be honest. Every episode in the intro, they have them fighting the Paclid and the Borg and the Romulans are all fighting in the intro of every episode. And we've seen the Paclid and we've sort of seen Romulans. 
but we haven't really seen any Borg except for the in this latest episode. So I'm hoping that there will be you know some Borg action somewhere in the future. Move us away from this Pakled storyline. I don't really care for that one too much. Before we leave, I do have a fun question for you, or what I think is pretty fun. Uh, if you could Borgify any part of your body, one, would you do it? And two, which one? When I say Borgify, for those playing along, uh, with this game at home, you are choosing to replace a part of your body, the human part of your body with the cybernetic slash technology based part, uh, with the understanding that someday you, it could possibly be at some point controlled by the collector. I think, I think I'd probably risk it. Uh, I think I probably would. I, I probably would. Uh, I probably have my circulatory system replaced uh, so that I lived for longer or better yet, uh, my digestive system so that Either I didn't have to eat, I choose to eat if I wanted to, um, but I would never get stomach aches because I'm very done with stomach aches for the whole rest of my life. Any digestive issues, I'm just done with those. So heck on those. Uh, I would get rid of those. Uh, never have a stomach ache again with the possibility that I might assimilate and destroy everyone that I love. Seems like a fair trade, right? Probably. I don't know. You decide at me, at Rad Miss Tell me whether or not you think I'm crazy getting rid of stomach aches for, uh, you know, possibly putting the world at risk. I'm glad you also threw in your plug for your Twitter. It's almost like you've done pod. <laughs> Something like that. I still listen to a few every once in a while. I'll tell you, for me, it would be the most cliched answer. It would be one of my eyes, just because I want to be able to shoot laser. <laughs> that is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, uh, at Radmus Fliss on Twitter, Felicity Pickens, thank you for joining me. I hope this is the first of many, many, many appearances of you on the show. I really enjoyed having you. Thank you for jumping in and talking all things Borg. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to reconnect with you. Is there anything I didn't ask you or we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about the Borg? Um, I don't think so. I think I kind of jabbered on a lot. It was great. I enjoyed it. And I'm sure people listening have been enjoying the episode. If you didn't, or if you did, you can find our Twitter on at Polytrex. That's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. If you're an email person, you can talk to us on polytrexpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email ID. Just send us an email saying how much you like us or hate us. We'll take both. Uh, please don't forget to share this episode. If you're listening to it on YouTube, please like it or anywhere that gives you a like option. Like it, share it, leave us a review on iTunes. We've not been doing very well with our iTunes. So if you don't mind taking a moment, it really helps out if you can leave us a good review on iTunes or a bad one. We'll take a bad one. We don't mind. Uh, and if you just need to yell at me personally, I'm at gutter underscore hero on Twitter. It's about the only social media I do. But good for- content. Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoy being a nerd online. <laughs> uh, just thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining me, Felicity Pickens slash at Rad Miss Fliss, uh, and live long and prosper and onward to Star Side. Peace and long life. <laughs>